Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, last week I shared with you how I was schooled by a young mom who was a biostatistician about immunizations, about vaccinations. And it started me on a 15-year journey of researching the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. And over the years, the thing that began to concern me the most was the fact that pharmaceutical companies used fetal tissue in the development of vaccines. And that caused me to wonder if pharmaceutical companies would stoop to using tissue from aborted fetuses to develop their vaccines. Well, my goodness, what else would they do that would defraud my patients, that would deceive me as a physician and defraud my patients? So I was constantly reading and researching about vaccines. And over time, I became more and more unsettled about the whole notion of giving vaccines to my patients. Over time, I became acquainted acquainted with uh, uh, Dr. Paul Brown from out in Seattle, who was using a vaccine program that spread the vaccines out over time, and it proved to be much safer for his patients. I began to implement that same uh, program for my patients. Yeah, and I felt much more comfortable with that. But then when COVID came along, uh, it really blew the top off of the whole vaccine safety issue. And I began to be fully aware that the pharmaceutical companies did not have my interest or the interest of my patients at heart. I became aware that the pharmaceutical companies had a hidden agenda. And it became apparent to me that their agenda was not taking care of patients, but amassing vast amounts of money for themselves and perhaps even population control because large numbers of people died because of the COVID vaccine. Probably 800,000 Americans died needlessly because of the COVID, so-called COVID vaccine and its after effects. And now it's apparent that many, many Americans, probably 80% of people who received the COVID um, mRNA therapeutic agent have COVID long haul or some aspect of COVID long haul. And the manufacturers knew in advance that these effects would occur and they hid it from the American people. So I'm completely unsettled about the whole issue of giving vaccines, especially to infants. I do not trust the pharmaceutical industry. My patients long ago were distrustful of the pharmaceutical industry. Many of them had better information and had done more research than I had and totally rejected the notion of giving immunizations to their uh, newborns and to their infants. Well, I respected that. And to, let me just let me just play a what if scenario with you. What if the health establishment were actually right about vaccine safety? 
totally disregard all the issues that I brought up in last week's podcast. What if the health establishment were actually correct about vaccine safety? What if common vaccine side effects were indeed mild and transient, and severe vaccine injury as rare as one in a million as the pharmaceutical industry states? If so, how would that fit with other aspects of vaccine safety policy? In other words, is the way the health establishment conducts vaccine safety activities consistent with its categorical assertion that vaccines are very, very safe? If vaccines did not cause serious adverse events, as we are repeatedly told, then there would be no rational reason to give control groups in pre-licensure clinical trials another vaccine, as is the current norm. Administering a placebo to the control group in a clinical trial is superior in every relevant aspect. Not only is it cheaper and simpler than using another vaccine, as is the current practice, it also provides reliable background rates for both efficacy and safety. Furthermore, there would also be no rationale for giving a control group the vaccine without the antigen in a vaccine trial. Why needlessly risk infants by using a compound that has zero potential benefit and an unknown safety profile when a safe alternative, a true placebo, is readily available? Why breach basic tenets of medical science ethics for no reason? If the vaccine on trial was expected to have only mild side effects, then what possible reason could there be for employing such a procedure? If vaccines were indeed safe, it wouldn't make sense to waste valuable resources on building and maintaining a computerized system like VAERS for reporting adverse events of vaccines with inherent defects, well known to all concerned, that cancel out most of its theoretical benefits. In a world where vaccines were safe, authorities would establish an active system with mandatory reporting by medical personnel, similar to infectious disease reporting systems that have existed in Western countries for decades. Such a system would provide reliable estimates of the actual, which would be presumably low, rates of vaccine side effects. This, in turn, would confirm the excellent safety profile obtained in clinical trials and would further bolster public confidence in the vaccine program. If vaccines were safe, vaccine safety research would be conducted unreservedly including physiological studies, exploring potential links between vaccines and subsequent adverse health events. Thus, those rare cases of suspected vaccine injury would receive comprehensive and in-depth medical investigations. The specific circumstances of each case would be documented and appropriate laboratory tests conducted. In addition, Subsequent biomedical studies would be performed to examine the possible causal association between the vaccine and the ensuing health condition. These studies would lay the scientific foundation required for developing diagnostic tools for pre-screening those at risk of vaccine injury 
as well as effective treatments for the injured and for the overall improvement of vaccine safety. If vaccines were indeed safe, health authorities would be happy to meet parents' growing demand for comprehensive and frequent epidemiological studies examining the overall benefit of the vaccine program and its impact on the incidence of various chronic health conditions like asthma, eczema, uh, autism, things like that. Vaccinated versus unvaccinated studies would surely top the establishment's priority list, as the results of these studies would likely confirm the safety of vaccines and pacify the concerned parents. In addition, research would be conducted to scientifically validate vaccination guidelines before they were actually implemented. Needless to say, all of these studies would be funded and directed by neutral public agencies and would be conducted by objective scientists with no conflicts of interest. Well, that's a what-if game. What's the reality? In the real world, vaccine science is run very differently. The clinical trials are cooked. Adverse event reporting systems are rudimentary by design. Biomedical research into vaccine injury is virtually non-existent. Health authorities sponsor biased epidemiological studies conducted by researchers with huge conflicts of interest. Studies evaluating the true benefit of the vaccination program are never done, and neither are studies comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated populations. And key vaccination guidelines are not based on sound science. Each item that I've just recommended, as well as the totality of the list, testifies to the inconceivable chasm between institutional claims of safety and the reality of vaccine science. While the establishment repeatedly declares that the safety of vaccines has been impeccably tested and proved excellent, its actions convey a deliberate intention to conceal the true magnitude and severity of their harms. While they proclaim that the vaccination program is the best and safest possible, the authorities are well aware that its real net benefit has never been scientifically studied. While they state that the vaccination guidelines are always based on rock-solid science, in reality, some were never tested, and others are based on shaky scientific foundations. While the establishment's representatives solemnly declare they are doing everything in their power to ensure the safety of vaccines, in practice, they're doing anything but. In fact, for decades, they have deliberately refrained from doing precisely those studies that could clarify vaccines' association with rising rates of chronic illness. Now, what would it take? What would it take for the confidence of the public to be established in the vaccines that are given to the most vulnerable among us? I'm talking about infants and children between birth and five or six years of age. Now, let's, let's put it into perspective. Understand clearly that autism, ADHD, epilepsy, autoimmune disorders, deadly allergies, 
SIDS, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes, learning disabilities, and many other childhood illnesses have been increasing for over 25 years. Medical authorities are aware of this, and they're at a loss to explain it. Over 50% of our children are chronically ill. A new NIH study found that 49.5% of adolescents aged 13 to 18 have some kind of mental disorder, and that's completely unacceptable. The long-term health effects of our vaccine program are inadequately studied, and our regulatory bodies are conflicted. Childhood health epidemics have mushroomed along with the childhood vaccine schedule. Vaccines contain many ingredients, some of which are known to be neurotoxic, carcinogenic, and cause autoimmunity. Vaccine injuries can and do happen. For example, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program of the Health and Human Services Agency has awarded almost $4 billion for vaccine injuries since 1988. So what what can be done? What should be done? Well, let me give you some recommendations. And this comes from the uh, Children's Health Defense Fund. These are the recommendations they make, and they're just very common sense recommendations. Number one, vaccines should be subjected to the very same scientifically rigorous approval process that all other medications are subjected to. Vaccines which are given to healthy patients should be tested even more rigorously than drugs because they're not given to treat an existing disease. And they're given to who? They're given to children, to infants and adolescents. Inadequate testing currently ensures that the true risk-benefit assessment for the safety and cost of vaccines are impossible to calculate accurately. These vaccines are given to about 4 million American infants annually. Let's talk about the difference between the typical drug approval process and the typical vaccine approval process. The pre-licensure follow-up for adverse events for a, a standard drug takes years. The typical vaccine approval process for a childhood vaccine often takes as little as two to five days. That's unbelievable. Let me give you some examples. The drug that we prescribe for cholesterol, Lipitor, atorvastatin. The follow-up for adverse events for Lipitor was four to eight years. For Enbrel, which is a, a medication given for arthritis and various other autoimmune disorders, is 6.6 years. Botox, the follow-up is 4.25 years. Now pay close attention. The follow-up for adverse events for hepatitis B injerics by GlaxoSmithKline was four days. For hepatitis B by Recombivax by Merck, five days. The polio vaccine put out by Sanofi Pasteur, the follow-up was two days. The Hib vaccine by Merck, the follow-up was three days. The Hib vaccine by GlaxoSmithKline was four days, and the follow-up on the Hib vaccine by Sanofi Pasteur was 30 days. Compare that with the follow-up of multiple years by other drugs that are given to adults. That is unconscionable. The requirement for trials to be done against an inactive placebo. All of these other drugs given to adults require an inactive placebo. Now, the exception is for drugs for life-threatening diseases like cancer, 
for the placebo is oftentimes a current standard of care. But for vaccines that are given to your children, a true placebo is not used in the vaccine trials. The, the, the drugs, the vaccines are tested against another vaccine. And therefore, you never know the real, true adverse events. For example, in adult drugs, the placebo is often saline or a sugar pill or some other inactive substance. The placebo in vaccines given to your children is another vaccine. And it's not always a vaccine against the same disease. Sometimes it's an adjuvant or a preservative like aluminum or mercury. And it's, those adjuvants are not truly inactive. Sometimes the, the placebo is a group of vaccines, two or three at one time. Therefore, you never know the true rate of adverse events of the vaccine being tested. Now, the other thing is this. Safety follow-up is incentivized for adult drugs by education and lawsuits. You see, lawsuits can be brought against the products given to adults. And there are free market checks and balances that demand the production of safer drugs. But childhood vaccines lack any kind of product liability against the manufacturers. And that's because of the the, uh, National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which eliminates market incentives to produce safer vaccines. There should be a requirement. This is my second recommendation, and this comes from the Childhood uh, uh, Health Defense Fund. We should require reporting of vaccine adverse events. The VAERS program should be automated. The vaccine safety database for research should also be automated. Reporting and study of adverse events after the receipt of a vaccine is is currently haphazard. It's antiquated. Uh, Doctors are not required to participate. Uh, and, And so many times adverse events go unreported and nobody really knows the true incidence of adverse events. And it should be automated. It should be mandated. And everybody knows that the the VAERS system, only about 1% of the actual adverse events are actually recorded into VAERS. Clinical trials for vaccines typically only enroll a few thousand patients in total. When vaccines are subsequently approved for use in populations of millions of healthy individuals, it is imperative that the rates of known adverse events and any new or rare adverse events are monitored. Without adequate safety follow-up, serious side effects may be missed entirely, putting the public at risk. And that's happened previously in various uh, drugs. A previous drug that came out while I was in practice was one called Vioxx for arthritis. And after it was released, uh, it was recalled very quickly because of serious side effects. Many people remember the, the swine flu vaccine that was recalled very quickly because not just serious side effects, but deaths associated with that vaccine. And without a, a, a adequate computerized mandated reporting system, none of this can be accomplished. <clears throat> the third thing is this. We should ensure that all parties involved with federal vaccine approvals and recommendations are free from conflicts of interest. Um, Listen, CDC or NIH employees whose names appear on vaccine patents 
currently can receive up to 150000 in licensing fees per year, get this, in perpetuity. And these employees are involved in the approval process. There's a terrible conflict of interest involved in the vaccine approval and recommendation process. The a House Oversight Committee recently reported that there was overwhelming majority of the members, both voting members and consultants in the CDC that have substantial ties to the pharmaceutical industry. And committee members with substantial ties to pharmaceutical companies have been given waivers to participate in committee proceedings. A similar report on the ACIP, that's the uh, committee that approves vaccines, found that the CDC grants blanket waivers to the ACIP, ACIP members each year that allows them to deliberate on any subject regardless of their conflicts of interest for the entire year. That's unconscionable. That should not be. It's not right. A 2009 Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General report found that CDC has a system lack of oversight of the ethics program. 97% of committee members' conflict disclosures had omissions. 58% had at least one unidentified potential conflict. 32% had at least one conflict that remained unresolved. CDC continued to grant broad waivers to members with conflicts. Listen, all vaccine regulatory agencies must rigorously enforce their ethics policies to ensure that our vaccine program is free from financial conflicts of interest. The fourth recommendation is that we reevaluate all vaccines recommended by ACIP prior to the adoption of evidence-based guidelines. Now, every vaccine on the childhood vaccine program currently, almost 80% of them were grandfathered in prior to the advent of what we call evidence-based medicine. Mandating the vaccines to millions of children is what happens when the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, that's ACIP, when ACIP approves an immunization, it mandates that vaccine for millions of children, and that vaccine becomes immune from liability for the manufacturer. And it includes in the Vaccine for Children program, that particular vaccine. However, prior to 2012, ACIP did not use evidence-based guidelines to evaluate their vaccine recommendations. So all vaccines that were on the protocol, the childhood vaccine schedule, prior to 2012, none of them were subjected to evidence-based medicine. They were just grandfathered in. And that includes most of the vaccines that your infants, your children, are being given. And the recommendation is that the CDC's infant schedule, which is given to approximately 4 million babies a year, should be subjected, should be reevaluated according to evidence-based medicine. Number five, study what makes some individuals more susceptible to vaccine injury. Nobody really knows that. The Institute of Medicine, which is now the National Academy of Medicine, issued disturbing reports on the evidence for suspected or reported vaccine adverse events. Three different studies that they, and I don't have time to go into them, but the, the up uh, side of it is that 
of suspected vaccine adverse conditions investigated, there was not enough research evidence to accept or reject vaccine causation. They just did not know. Of the reviews with sufficient evidence, 72% found that the vaccine did likely cause an injury. There needs to be more research, lots more research, into this whole issue of vaccine injury and what can be done to prevent vaccine injury. Vaccine safety science, particularly long-term safety science, is inadequate to ensure children's safety or to accurately assess risk for purposes of informed consent. And then lastly, this whole issue of informed consent. We should support fully informed consent and individual rights to refuse vaccination. So many times, moms uh, are take their little children to get a vaccine. They, their child receives the vaccine, and as they're going out the door, they're given information about the vaccine. And if they even bother to read the information about the vaccine, they would be horrified to read some of the risks that are associated with the vaccines that are currently being given. That is not informed consent. And the mothers are not being given the opportunity to read that in advance, ponder it, and then say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not giving my child this vaccine. Moms should be given the opportunity to read and study the information and opportunity to say no and not be browbeaten or embarrassed if they should say no. These are solid recommendations. These are good recommendations. And these are recommendations that should be considered all across our United States in order to protect our children from the harms of vaccines. I've thought about this a long time. I've thought about it for years. I think these are reasonable recommendations. And I, I just, I want you to understand that I'm not against vaccines. I just think vaccines should be given less often. I think the vaccines should be spread apart. So many vaccines should not be given at one time. And I, I'm very concerned about the number of vaccines that are being given to our children and how often they're being given to small children. And I encourage my moms out there to be doing their own research, to be doing their own study. There, a, a book that I strongly recommend is Turtles All the Way Down, Vaccine Science and Myth. It's a very eye-opening book. It's full of solid medical information. If you like what you've been hearing, I encourage you to follow, like, or share More Than Medicine. I would be very appreciative. You're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.